This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And hey, everyone, I'm Jake Lancaster, and I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Well, today we are so incredibly excited to have Tom Root. Not only is Tom a uh, co-author of the new book, Lean in a High Variability Business, and it's really a great book. It's done in this like graphic novel kind of uh, comic you know, book. It makes me think when I was young. But Tom is a managing partner of Zingerman's Mail Order and co-founder of MakerWorks in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Tom is known throughout the country as being a lean practitioner, a lean leader. He uh, speaks at the University of Michigan. Tom, we are so incredibly thankful to have you. Uh, For those that don't know a little bit about Zingerman's, tell us about yourself as well as Zingerman's. Sure, sure. Well, thank you both for having me here today. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about some of my favorite things. So um, with that, Zingerman. Zingerman started in 1982 by two gentlemen. Uh, who were who felt like the Ann Arbor area didn't have a good Jewish deli. And so the original Zingerman's business was a small delicatessen. Um, they made pretty good sandwiches, and then they got involved in importing uh, olive oils and cheese and meats and all kinds of things from Europe. And the story goes that the deli grew beyond their wildest imagination, and they felt like they wanted to keep growing but they were pretty sure that they didn't want to grow through replication. They didn't want to open another deli. Um, And so they hit upon the idea of opening what we now refer to as food-related businesses. And the first food-related business that was opened 10 years after the deli was a bakery. And the bakery basically made, as its first product offering, the bread that the sandwiches were made on. And so one of the hallmarks of Zingerman's businesses is that they are synergistic. They are meant to sort of uh, multiply each other's uh, impact. So fast forward to today, there are now 11 Zingerman's businesses, a part of the Zingerman's community of businesses, and Zingerman's mail order is one of them. And Zingerman's Mail Order is the part of the organization that I, along with my two partners, are the owners and managing partners of. So Zingerman's Mail Order um, is just what it says in the name. No, no, uh, no hiding behind the words there. We have a print catalog, have for a number of years. Uh, back in the late 90s, we offered an e-commerce option, and the rest is kind of history. Now, somewhere along there, we decided uh, we had had to move the business about three times in six years. And we did the calculations because we kept outgrowing the space. Uh, In those days, we were very traditional pick-pack fulfillment. Um, Our most popular items are gift boxes and baskets. So these are assemblies, if you will. And uh, it was our, our approach in those days was to spend the night shift making all the boxes and baskets and then spend the day shift picking, packing, and shipping. And as a result of that approach, uh, our space needs kept growing. In those days, we were growing 25, 30% year over year, and that space would get filled up very quickly. So three times in six years, we had moved, and when we did the math on the fourth move, we decided it just didn't make any sense anymore. We were gonna spend over over a million dollars and no benefit to the customer, if that makes any sense, right? You spend all this money simply to reorganize and relocate the business. Um, 
And it was at that point that we had the good fortune that one of our partners was getting their MBA. They took an operations class and they read a book by a guy I'm sure you're familiar with named Dr. Jeffrey Laker. Um, he read the Toyota Way, uh, recommended that we might read it as a management team. And we basically knew immediately by reading it that this was a solution to our problem. It was just now a matter of doing the work. Um, I like to say now, and I'm sure this is one of those sort of revisionist history things that it was obvious from the very beginning. But the thing that really attracted it to, uh, it to us was that there was a philosophical basis underneath the tools. Um, the Zingerman's community is very much um, of a philosophical mind. We have guiding principles. We make decisions through consensus. We do a lot of things that are kind of unusual for businesses. And we were not going to work well with a tool set that didn't have a conscience. And so the first class I ever taught about Lean was to the other managing partners of the organization where I tried to show them that Lean was not a foreign body. So for our, our medical friend here, for our medical friends here, you know, the problem with a foreign body, of course, is that the body fights it. Uh, the same is true of organizations. So I tried to convince our organization, you know, this Lean stuff, it's going to be okay because it's a lot like us. Uh, we just have to learn the tools. And I figured it was going to be easy, right? We had the philosophical side locked up. Uh, all we had to do was learn the tools. And uh, this many years later, we're still trying to learn the tools. <laughs> well, Tom, uh, I'm very excited to have you on. Actually, uh, Ziggerman's came up in conversation for me two weeks back. And that was the first time I had ever heard of the company. I was on a call with an ED physician from Michigan and our CIO, who's from the area, had worked in the area. And he was there were talking about the Zingerman's box that he had just gotten and all the stuff that had just come in. And so I was pretty intrigued about what what was it about this company that, you know, kept him really desiring and getting that uh, product uh, after many years. He hadn't lived in the area in, in quite some time. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, I, I've been meaning to to read up on the company and order something myself. But tell us what makes uh, Zingerman's unique. Why is it so so popular for people that have tried it? Sure. Well, I think the popularity is, is twofold. Um, one is that um, we we're, we're kind of particular in terms of the products that we're going to carry. Um, we refer to curating a selection of items. And it takes, uh, if I'm honest, it takes a lot to become a product that Zingerman's is going to carry. Uh, it has to be our full flavored. It has to taste good first and foremost. And if it doesn't taste better than all the other options, then it's probably not a Zingerman's product. Uh, we like it to be artisanally made. We're, we're kind of stuck on histories. We like products that are sort of made today the same way they were made, you know, many years ago, 10 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever. Um, and we like products that have a good story. Um, we like products that support local economies. We like products that 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 do something more in the world than just feed people. Um, so it's kind of tough to be a Zingerman's product. And that's for the things that we might resell. For the products that we make ourselves, all of those expectations exist and then some. So uh, I think our bread and pastry, the products that come out of our Zingerman's Bakehouse are 
are truly unique and wonderful in every way. Uh, the care and, and, and consideration that goes into making those products is amazing. We make coffee, uh, we roast coffee, we make creamery cheeses, we make gelato, we make candy, and all of those products are produced with a, a real focus on a good story and, a, and, a, and the best ingredients we can imagine and so on. The second reason I think we're probably popular is because Ann Arbor, and there's a small institution here you may have heard of, I think it's called the University of Michigan. Uh, it, it turns out to be kind of a, a, a happening place as far as people coming and going, right? And as a result of that, you know, being in the town for 36, 37 years now, we've got to see a lot of those people who came and went. And we're very fortunate that they have good feelings about us after they go to other parts of the country. And we benefit from their desire to uh, have a little bit of that taste of when they were here the first time. Uh, that's great. You know, we mostly deal with a, a different UM, which is uh, the University of Mississippi. So <laughs> understood. I have to keep that well, in mind. Yes. So Tom, Tom, I've got a question for you because I think of this a lot when it comes to the Zingerman's, you know, one, we have uh, 11 guiding principles. I know you talked about principles and our Baptist management system, which some might call lean. Uh, yeah. It's made up of 11 guiding principles. And one of the principles uh, is called flow and pull. Yeah. And uh, we always like to say, you know, flow if you can, pull if you must. Naturally. And but one of the things that's so fascinating, what I've heard, you'll have to tell me fact versus fiction on this story. Sure. But I've heard that you know, a large portion of Zingerman's business occurs during the month of December. And so it's like this huge spike that occurs. And you have to, as an organization, hire all of these people, get them onboarded, trained, and being able to produce high quality uh, so that your so that your um, your customers get high quality. Yep. And when I think of that, the thing that goes through my mind is that must be a flow nightmare. And uh, and I think it's also similar to healthcare because, you know, Dr. Lancaster and I were just talking a few minutes ago about many of our uh, emergency departments. They know when they're going to get hit yeah. and they know many times how hard they're going to get hit within a given hour, within a given day. And so I'm interested in what things we might be able to learn learn from Zingerman's on how you've dealt with this. So I'll let you kind of correct where I may have went wrong with that no, story. No, well, the good news is your facts are spot on. Um, what we would tell folks is that uh, we do 50% of our annual revenue in the month of December. Um, that, that month really begins just before Thanksgiving. And, and then sort of culminates uh, right at the Christmas holiday. Um, and is all that Christmas, is all that, you know, for gift boxes related to Christmas, is that why? Predominantly, yes. Okay. I, I think it's, I think Thanksgiving has become a bigger holiday for us. It's food oriented, that holiday yeah. is, that works in our favor. Um, so yeah, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's largely Christmas holiday. And we, we typically will have a Hanukkah in there sometimes. Uh, that's gonna play a role as well. Um, so, I mean, there's, you know, there's lots of folks who are in the buying mood, if you will, during the month of December. But 50% of our revenue, uh, in order to pull that off, we end up having to hire and onboard between 400 and 500 people that will work with us. Sort of the longest tenure is going to be three months. If you're in our service center where you're answering phones, you'll probably get brought in in that September time frame. And some of our 
warehouse, our production, our pick, pack, and fulfillment folks, we will hire a handful of people that will work one day with us. So we end up hiring throughout the entire season. So you brought up the question of flow. The first thing we had to get our heads around is that we'll never be done hiring, right? People are going to come in and people are going to go out and we're just going to have to keep on that. We're not going to really get to stop uh, the hiring process. So we've actually, um, one of my favorite stories, so I won't go too much into the detail, but we learned process, um, value stream mapping by value stream mapping our hiring and onboarding process. Um, when we were asked, what's one thing you'd really like to improve so that we can learn this technique? The answer was the hiring process. In the old days, um, we would put out a, a cattle call and uh, a thousand people would show up at the building. There'd be a line out the building, um, hundreds of people long. It would take all day. If you happen to have been the last person in the line, you were probably online for about eight hours. And recognition there was that was not in service to anybody. Um, and so um, now the hiring process of the four to 500 people, um, you get a little reservation time. You come in during that reservation time. Um, the fact that you show up for us means that you're hired um, and we'll worry about sorting and training and all that other kind of stuff when you come in for your first shift. This is a big change the way we used to do. We used to do a lot of interviewing and trying to select the right people. Um, in our organization, we like to say that your strength begets your weakness. But the, the corollary is also true. Your weakness begets your strength. And I'll give you an example of that. The weakness that we have is that in that kind of time frame and those kinds of uh, numbers, we do not have the luxury of training people. We just don't have enough time to train a service center, a service star on the entirety of the catalog. We don't have enough time to train a basket maker on 152 recipes. So we have to design the work such that we can take whomever shows up for work that day and make good use of their time and energy, make good use of their desire to be productive. So we have to, the, 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 the weakness is we don't have time to train. It begets our strength, which is we can design the work to really break it down such that in a very short order, you can be 80% effective. On the tr we also don't have the typical management carrot stick option. Everybody knows that when they take a holiday roll that that job's not gonna last, right? Come January, there's no job. So we can't threaten people with the loss of the job. They know the job's going away. So this forces us to be back in the mindset of what we would call servant leadership, where my job as a leader in the organization is to serve them. The plain and simple fact is I need them way more than they need me during the month of December. And, and if I ever get that twisted, then that'll be the demise of the business. You understand what I'm saying, right? I need them more than they need me. So my job is to be a steward of their experience in our organization and to help them bring them full, their full selves to the job so I can make them effective. We do this design the, the work carefully and uh, depend heavily on standard standard operations, SOPs. Uh, we're uh, practitioners of TWI. We use the training methodology of TWI on the basis of SOPs. And what, what our goal is, I want you to be 80% effective in 30 minutes or less. So that's the design of the work. That's the dependence on the standard work documents. And that's really the only way to scale up 500 people and make them effective in the, in the time we've got. 
That's really interesting. Uh, certainly a lot of parallels to the healthcare industry, especially now with a lot of the staffing shortages we're seeing. We're, yeah. we're hiring a lot of, um, you know, traveling nurses, temporary staff. And we notice a huge amount of variation between the travelers that come in that aren't used to our system, our culture, the way we do things, and our, our, uh, you know, our longtime workers. Um, and I would say that healthcare's got a long ways to go in you know, drafting out that standard work. And maybe we can talk about your new work, new book, uh, for a second, uh, with highly variable industries and designing yeah. lean for that, because um, a lot of times we think you can't have standard work for, you know, patients that come in 20 to, you know, there's a million different ways that a patient can present to your hospital with sure. no, no patient is the same. Um, so talk a little bit about that. How do you, how do you plan and have, you know, these lean initiatives with uh, a highly variable industry? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give uh, credit to Dr. Laker and Dr. Lander, who are the two co-authors of the book, uh, especially Dr. Lander. Um, Eduardo came to us when he was just a student of Laker's. And I like to say people don't, go, don't get PhDs to study things we already know the answers to. And what Eduardo studied was could lean be applied to highly variable businesses? And the big takeaway from his dissertation is, fortunately, yes, it can be applied. Um, so in our case, I'll give you an example of how we make a gift box um, because they can be customized and are often customized. Right. So there imagine that it's not dissimilar, I guess, from a car in that there are a lot of the things that are the same, but then there are going to be important differences that need to be accommodated during the manufacturing process. That's what our gift box looks like. So how do we standardize this process? Well, we standardize the way the work shows up and we know and we standardize the way the work is, is pre presented. It's in a tote with all the items and then there's a work order that represents that particular order. When I scan that work order at my workstation, images of the standard uh, build are displayed to the operator of the station. Pictures, not words, not descriptions, but pictures. Uh, basically saying these items go on the first layer, these guy items go on the next layer up, and these items go on the top layer. And then I look at the items that I'm given, and I'm basically, chances are there are, they're going to be different, but there's going to be a bottle, and there's going to be a bar, and there's going to be a square, and there's going to be a tube, and there, right? And so I'm going to use the standard as a reference to build the specific version I have in front of me. So those images become the key component to, we have a standard process, standardly displaying the images, presenting the work and so on, but the variation comes in that, use that as a guide to go ahead and do the work that's presented in front of you. Um, so it's always, we like to say uh, the, the best thing we ever invested in was the human supercomputers that we hire every year, right? Because it turns out they're actually pretty good at stuff, right? Yeah. And understanding how to vary the base images into the specifics that I'm presented with, turns out they're actually pretty good at that. And the good news too is that that skill is, is easily refined in a couple of iterations. We always say, by the time you're done with your first shift, you will have seen 80% of what you're gonna see the entire time you're here. So that first day can be a little disorienting, but chances are day number two, you're gonna feel pretty empowered. What's interesting also about your model, and I'm sure you all have uh, 
ran the finances on it, but there's some paradigms that are being broken there, meaning that um, because you're continuously hiring, you know, you'll always hear people say, and understandably so, hey, when we lose someone, it costs us this much or uh, or it costs this much to onboard someone. And I'm not saying that that's not true. Uh, but in your business model, it's not a direct comparison because your model is a little different because you're you're starting off saying we're never going to stop hiring, you know, right. and and how do we think about you know, being smart about that from a financial standpoint so that they come on quickly, they have success quickly for the period of time. Am I, am I thinking about that right? You're thinking about it 100% correct. And, and I appreciate that you've queued this up in this, such a specific way. Because one of the first things that I try to tell people when they come to mail order and they want to talk about this stuff is that we don't believe there's a right person for the job. It is our job to figure out how to make the best use of the person who comes to work today. Now, look, I don't I'm not going to claim, by the way, that this is going to work equally well in a medical field. Right. I mean, that that clearly is not going to make any sense. There's a whole lot of education that's required to be effective in that context. But in my context, I have the luxury of being able to design the work in such a way that I am not going to be dependent on institutional knowledge. I really get to take that concept to an extreme. Right which is that I might very well be presented with an completely new person every day in a, in a given area. And back to sort of what, what does one piece flow look like? It looks like hiring somebody new for the job every day. What would you do in terms of work design, standardization, and so on, if that was your reality? Well, you get kind of crazy out there on the, on the using templates and 5Sing and whatever because you have to assume they're walking into the job fresh every day. Now, it's an interesting tie into the maker space. Uh, you mentioned MakerWorks. So the analogy I like to use there is if you ever gone over to a friend's house and they've they've prepared a lovely meal for you, you feel like you want to give something back. So you offer to do the dishes and doing the dishes isn't the hard part, but you want to put the dishes back for them. And what happens to you when you stand in their kitchen? You have no idea where anything is. Right. So a makerspace is a tool shop run like a health club, right? It's uh, instead of weight benches and, and dumbbells, we've got laser cutters and, and metal mills, right? So it's a big tool shop. And you know, a shop is not that dissimilar from a kitchen. And if we don't design the space, then every time a member walks in, they feel disoriented because they can't find anything. So we have to take these concepts of designing the work, designing the space to an extreme. For example, in the makerspace, we don't put anything in drawers or behind doors. Everything is out where you can see it, right? So this is the kind of stuff that we get into. And I always say the makerspace was 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 brought on board because we ran these experiments at mail order and showed that they could work. We could support people in productivity at maker at, at the at mail order and at MakerWorks. It was safety, right? In the makerspace, it's safety. So 5Sing, visual management, design the work, assuming I'm going to have a, a brand new person every day at that extreme one piece flow kind of thinking as far as the staff is concerned, really becomes our greatest strength. Yeah, I, I think that that example actually does apply. You know, you know, Jake, think about this. I've never walked in a hospital or a clinic ever not seeing someone eventually looking, hunting, pecking searching for something yeah. oh yeah i mean every every hospital every clinic is its own animal and slightly different um you know 
and to go back to your space and, and standardizing that space example you just gave, you know, we've done or trying to do something similar with uh, some of our supply rooms on nursing units. Um, you know, so we started with one of our hospitals in Minnesota really standardizing because they weren't even the same. They weren't stocked the same at each hospital on each floor, let alone the entire hospital and definitely not the entire system. Sure. So they went through and and did a great job of, of you know, 5Sing and standardizing, making it so that the shorter nurses can actually reach the supplies that they needed. Brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, more open and you know, open bins so they can reach in. And so then we're repeating that same initiative at our other hospitals, um, knowing that we're going to have nurses that are traveling from one hospital to the other, you know, uh, because we have to move them around yeah. and we're getting traveling nurses and, and things of that nature. So it's, you know, it's, it's simple things like that that can make a huge difference. You know, after they redesigned that, they got, you know, great feedback from their nursing staff on the communication with supply chain, which nothing really changed except for yes. being able to find it easier. Lovely. That, that There it is. There it is. Well, I think, you know, I, I know this time has went pretty quick. We This podcast goes pretty quick, but this has been really exciting. I mean, I... Uh, I love the book. I love the whole format of the the comic book setting and and but I think there's so much that we can learn from your industry. I I believe there's so much that we can learn from each other in every industry because um you know the tools we talked about tools earlier and we have lots of tools too. They're just a manifestation of our principles, right? And so one of our principles is uh, scientific thinking. And I know just like us, y'all try to uh, exercise and develop that scientific thinking with the four-step improvement kata, coaching kata. Yep. Can, can you speak briefly about how that's had an impact on Zingerman's? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll start by telling you, it seems every time we talk about things like this, uh, if we find that people really like to hear how you failed. So I'm going to start off by telling you a couple of ways that we failed. Um, so way back in the day, uh, fell in love immediately with the concept of continuous improvement, right? I mean, it, it really is, it is such a, an inspiring concept that every day there's an opportunity to make the thing better. Um, we, we struggle with what most organizations do, which is, well, how do I do it? Like, I'm, I'm in love with the philosophy now, but what do I, how do I behave? That's where TWI came in for us, gave us a rudimentary recipe, uh, the, the uh, job methods recipe from TWI. That was where we began. Um, and we had worked that to a degree, certainly taught it to everybody and expected everybody to carry their recipe card around with them and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we were still finding that, that change and improvement was largely led by management and not by staff. So in a desperate attempt to try to find some other methods to incentivize, we tried a bunch of things. Um, most notably, we did uh, continuous improvement grants. Uh, we promised to pay people like consultants if they took time outside of their scheduled time on the production floor to plan and execute an experiment. Um, we even had an overlay which was very similar to the Girl Scouts merit badge concept where you, by executing, by getting the merit badge, I then become qualified to certify someone else's work to get the merit badge. The idea that we could sort of multiply, force multiply people. Um, money didn't do it. Um, uh, a lot of hand waving and ringing didn't do it. A lot of conjoling didn't do it. We just weren't finding traction. 
Um, and then uh, Mike Rother, who is also a local Ann Arbor guy, uh, did us the great favor of writing a book called the Toyota Kata. Um, and because he was a local guy and known to Dr. Liker, we had the benefit of, of talking to him a little bit. And when we rolled out the, the improvement Kata, it, I believe it was a combination of two things there that happened. One was that we had a, a, a in a, everybody that works at mail order came to us during the holiday, right? That makes sense, right? If you bring on 500 people, that's where you're going to find your people. So we brought in a batch of people that seemed to be really interested in the, oh, it's not just about cardboard and cellophane. Uh, there's something more to this job. I get to think a little bit. They were kind of inspired by that. And at the same time, we also rolled out the improvement kata and the the approachability of the language, the quite honestly, the repetition. Um, it was an instant fit for us. Um, people begin to use it. They begin to use it with when they were talking to each other. And we begin to see it crop up even when we were lo weren't looking at a storyboard. Right. We were hearing people say, well, what's your challenge situation? And well, what's your current condition? You know, that kind of stuff. So the approachability of the language, I think, was really the thing that unlocked this for people. Um, and it just happened that we had a good batch of people that were very curious at the time, too. That helped. Uh, we've been practicing that stuff ever since. We, we've had the exact same experience with the language, and and uh, we, we're very involved with TWI also with uh, TWI job instructions and job relations and job methods. And now we had to healthcare health healthcareize some of the language, especially with job methods. A little funny story there, you know, in the original language, probably what you have, you know, they use the word jigs and fixtures. Well, the nurses wanted to hang me, so I had to change it to devices and holders. Okay. You know, and so, so we had to change a little bit of language, but very, very powerful. Well, Tom, this has been fantastic. I know Jake has one more question. Yeah, right on. I mean, last very serious question for first time Zingerman's customers, which gift basket should I order? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it, I would say it depends on your taste. I will tell you the most popular two items as a gift box. I would recommend the Weekender. Okay. Um, there's also a version of it called the long weekender if you're looking for something a little extra. Um, but as far as a single item, I would recommend you try one of our coffee cakes or there's even a nice uh, assembly of coffee cakes, three different flavors <laughs> shipped together. Um, so but the weekender is going to be great. You're going to get some pastry, uh, pastries from the bakehouse. You can get some bread from the bakehouse. And those are if if I ever moved away from the Ann Arbor area, the thing that I would miss the most would be the Zingerman's Bakehouse bread for sure. So I definitely encourage you to try that out. Thank you. Yep. Fantastic. Tom, thank you so much on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare. I know that I know at Zingerman's y'all do a lot of training and and you have folks that visit you. So, you know, maybe myself and Dr. Lancaster and Dr. Mason can come visit you and we'll we'll have to figure out how to justify it, Jake. But uh but well, I'm I sure can provide we can provide food when you get here. How about that? But, we'll cut the cost basis a little bit by I can give you food while you're here. Fantastic. That'll work. Hey, th thank you so much on behalf of Baptist. We really appreciate you. My pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thank you.